Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. I just got back from San Jose, California. I was there on a business trip and it was very productive. However, I always like to see what real estate is like when I go to different markets around the country. And guess what I found out? Not to my surprise, but the median price of a home in San Jose, California, as of late, mid-October, was $1,010,000. Think about that. A price is over $1 million for a home. And this was based on over 1,800 home sales of recent past. So this is not a one-off. This is the median. It's the middle midpoint. So, you know, when you do the math, that breaks down based on square footage to a price per square foot of just under $700. That's insane. That's incredible. We've been selling properties for many, many years throughout the country in markets that make sense for 80, 90, sometimes $100 a square foot. And even our new construction in various markets like Cape Coral, Florida, in Tampa, Jacksonville, Florida, a lot of these properties are right around that $100 per square foot mark. In fact, it's kind of hard to find properties being built for over $130 a square foot in the markets that we're in. But it gets worse. If the million dollar price tag wasn't bad enough for a median sales price, the median rent, now this is more for apartments, so I haven't looked into the uh, home rent, but it's going to be pretty darn close. So the median rent per month in San Jose is around $3,500. So if you do the math, if you divide that into the million dollars and you try to calculate your rent to price or rent to value ratio, what we call an RV ratio, that's just a measly 0.35%. Remember, we're trying to get at or above 0.8% with an ideal target of 1%. So when you're down under 0.8 and you're as far down as 0.35%, that is very small. You are not utilizing your investment capital in the best and wisest way possible. Not only that, it's a very expensive market, high priced, high land values, therefore potentially high downside risk. And so this is why a lot of the coastal markets, particularly in California and on parts of the East Coast, are just simply too expensive to invest in. So other than that, in recent news, I'm recording this on October 31st, so this is a Halloween day. Recently, I've noticed a lot of volatility in the stock market, and it's just hard to believe that October is the same month that we saw record highs in the Dow. Yet at the same time, we saw the top 30 stocks in the index decline just short of 10%. And when you have a 10% drop in the stock market, that's generally referred to as a correction. And so when you look at the Dow and you look at the broader market, the S&P 500, if you were an investor at the beginning of the year, right now, as of October 31st, you would be in negative territory. That means not only did you not make any gains, you haven't had an increase in value, but you haven't had any cash flow either. So really your capital is worth less now than it was at the beginning of the year and you had no cash flow and 
your capital is worth less than it was when you first started because of inflation. So you're not even keeping up with inflation. That's ridiculous. How could you even call that an investment? I certainly don't call putting capital in the stock market in terms of achieving capital gains as an investment. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox there in terms of the stock market and overpriced real estate markets and get to what I want to cover here today. And that's really just another episode of Ask Marco. I haven't done one of those in a while. And those questions seem to keep piling up in my inbox and I do file them in a folder and I get to them and I do reply to everybody in a timely manner as best as I can, but I do travel quite a bit. So I picked out some questions here for today and I think these are applicable to most everybody. I tried to mix it up. So let me just go through some of these and hopefully they'll be helpful for you and you can relate to some of them. So the first question is by a gentleman named Armin. Armin says, hi, Marco, huge fan of the podcast. Thank you for it. I have learned a ton from you. I have a question about the equity acceleration topic, which for those that you don't know, it was episode number 51. This was a couple of years back. He said, I just listened to the episode and it really does seem too good to be true. And yes, I've heard this many times. There are a lot of people that say it's too good to be true. Armin says, I was just wondering if I could have your opinion on the topic. Is it really a genuine way to accelerate payments on properties to own them free and clear in a few years? Or are there hidden caveats that are stored away in this method that make it not worth pursuing? I would love to hear your thoughts on the pros and cons with this because I don't know much about it. Thank you for your time, Marco. Armin. Well, that's a great question, Armin. And thanks for being a listener of the show. And thanks for your kind words. So, you know, I've gotten a number of questions based on that episode. It's one of the hardest concepts to wrap your head around, even though it's really not that complicated. And it's also difficult to follow without discipline and organization. You know, you have to be a disciplined person with your finances and with your income and paying your bills because it really comes down to the process of taking your income, paying down your mortgage in large chunks using some sort of line of credit or credit of some sort. And then you're basically paying your bills, paying yourself through that line of credit. And it's just one of those things that are make a lot of sense when you see it visually and it's hard to explain. Even I find it hard. I mean, I, I know how it works and I've done it for a while, but I'll be completely honest. It does take a lot of discipline to follow along and do it. And it's kind of a little bit of a pain in the butt. But the fact is, is it does work. And if you've been looking at other countries like Australia, this concept has been used for many years. It goes by different names. It's not publicized here in the US. And the fact is, is most people don't have the discipline to stick to it. There are people I've spoken to that were following the system and accelerated their mortgage pay down in nearly half the time. So it does work. You just need to have the discipline and the follow through on the process. And of course, you need to have either a chunk of cash to start with, or you're borrowing from yourself, or you are borrowing from some sort of revolving line of credit. But there are no tricks or hidden items. It's just math. If you reduce the principal up front, and that's the key, if you're reducing the principal up front, you end up paying more towards the principal and less towards the interest as you make each payment because an amortization schedule on a mortgage front loads the interest and back loads the principal. So if you can turn that upside down and on its head and pay off the principal or a big chunk of it up front, you're actually paying more principal on future payments 
well, actually your immediate payments, you are paying off more principal, less interest. And so when you can build it up and stack it that way, it just accelerates the principal pay down. There are several educators and promoters out there that offer similar programs. I've seen many of them come and go. I was first exposed to this back in 2005, I believe it was. And they're all based on the same principles, but feel free to call them. Go back and listen to episode 51, I believe it was, and just reacquaint yourself with this. My guest, his name's Jordan Goodman, was on explaining how this works. And so just revisit that. Anyway, I hope that helps a little bit. So question two, Marky, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name properly. Good afternoon. I'm newly interested in real estate investing. The idea of passive income amazes me and and the idea of working paycheck to paycheck does not. Well, I don't blame you. It doesn't for most people. Also, would you be able to recommend any books on real estate investing? Thanks for your time. Yes, this doesn't change much from year to year. There are certain books that I find to be very foundational. Here are my top four or five. So not necessarily a real estate-based book, but definitely a fundamental cornerstone book from a psychological and mindset perspective is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I'm sure many of you have heard this said many, many times. But the nice thing about Think and Grow Rich, and I've done a podcast episode on this about a year ago or so. Napoleon Hill was a journalist, and he went out and researched more than 500 self-made millionaires, including the great Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, Charles Schwab. And he studied these people and interviewed them and tried to learn what they had in common, that lowest common denominator. And then he released the book in 1937, and it became a bestseller. But, you know, this is a timeless book, and it's one of those timeless personal finance classics That will help you understand that getting rich is more about the mental game above anything else. And in fact, he barely mentions the words money, wealth, or even finances in the book. But what he does do is he explains the psychological barriers that hold many people back from building what can be fortunes. And he teaches you how to start thinking your way to success. And that sounds kind of woo-woo or, you know, ethereal, but the reality is, is your mind controls everything you do. It sets in motion everything you do or don't do. And when you can wrap your mind around the power of your mind, you will set in motion all the right actions and knowledge that you need to make things happen. So Think and Grow Rich is a cornerstone book and you can get it on audio as well. So you don't have to even read it. The next book I would say is not only the Rich Dad Poor Dad book by Robert Kiyosaki, but really the whole series of Rich Dad books. They're all excellent. They cover all the topics from real estate investing to taxes and school, what you learn and don't learn from the school system today and things to do with the economy and the Federal Reserve. And it just goes off in many, many different directions. But that whole Rich Dad series covers a lot of breadth. And so I really think it's a must read. And if nothing else, the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, the very first one in the series, followed by Cashflow Quadrant, would probably be the two I'd pick out first. And if you read nothing else, that's fine. But those are foundational books. The Ken McElroy books would be the second and third book I'd read. Excuse me, third and fourth book. The next book is the Gary Keller book. It's called The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. That book was great, but it kind of went all over the place for me. It's like every chapter was so 
different from the previous one. They didn't really flow from one to the other, but it all came together. So it's a good book. A little bit on the math side is uh, Frank Gallinelli's book, What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow. This is a very simple read, but there's a lot of math in it. It's in formulas. So it really gets you to understand the importance of the numbers and what those numbers are. And I did a podcast interview with him, oh, geez, uh, probably two years or two and a half years ago. So maybe uh, you can uh, learn a lot from that particular episode. But the book is definitely a good book to pick up. And then last but not least is a book called Demographic Shifts by John Burns, relatively newer book. So I'll uh, try to get these all in the show notes. And yeah, I think these are great books to have in your library and, and certainly read, and it'll give you a great foundation. A quick message from our sponsor, Producers Wealth. MC Lobsher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and president of Producers Wealth, is on a mission to help you achieve financial independence as soon as possible. He achieves this by integrating the infinite banking concept and real estate investments to increase your financial efficiency and recapture the cash flow that you're not even aware that you're losing. MC shares the number one strategy of investors in his holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. All right, so next question. Hello, Marco. This is by Julie. Oh, okay. I remember Julie. So hello, Marco. First off, thank you so much for this podcast. I'm learning so much very quickly and appreciate the quality and clarity of your podcast. Thank you, Julie. I am looking into purchasing my first investment property. I live rent-free with my family someplace in California here, and I'm saving up for my down payment. I currently earn, I'm not going to get into this, it's not a lot, but which increases 2000 each year. I have 10000 saved up, and my credit score is over 800 which is excellent. I am in the process of applying for my loan pre-approval. I was initially planning to purchase a rental unit in the Midwest. However, I realized I qualify for an FHA loan and potentially down payment assistance if I purchase a primary residence. And then in bracket, she says, I would ideally live in Northern California. I have three questions. One, should I take advantage of the FHA loan and try to purchase in California? The only affordable places I found are foreclosed auction homes. I would like to find something with extra rooms, in-law, multi-unit, so I could receive rent. Yes, that would probably be the only way to make it work. The thing with an FHA loan is they're not designed for investment property. In fact, you can't even use them for investment property. They are designed for your principal residence. Now, if you can find a multi-unit and use an FHA loan, which is easier to qualify for and has a very low down payment requirement, I believe it goes as low as 3%, 3 or 4%, then you can get into a property and rent out the other units to help cover the cost of the property. And if the numbers work out in your favor, you could potentially be living there rent-free or mortgage-free because your tenants that live in the same property with you are covering your overhead, your cost. But the problem with where you live is it's very difficult to find a distressed or foreclosed property because the competition has been fierce and to find a cheap deal to you know fix and hold or even fix and flip is very hard to do. So that doesn't mean they aren't out there, but it will require some work to find distressed properties or even distressed homeowners to find those types of deals. So you're just in a very expensive market. So that compounding the fact that FHA loans are designed to be homeowner loans, this is not going to work out for you. 
at least not easily. So your, your next question here is, uh, should I forego the FHA loan and purchase a more affordable rental unit in the Midwest? I mean, the short answer is yes. If you've got the credit, which you do, and the down payment, then by all means, purchase you know a cash-flowing investment property in a market that makes sense. You know, The Midwest has a lot of great markets where you can definitely do this. And then her third question is, how easy or plausible is it to purchase an affordable foreclosed auction home in California? So we're kind of going full circle. Like I said, it is difficult to very difficult. The good thing, Julie, is you have a good start to your savings. Once you're closer to the $20,000 point, you'll have enough to purchase your first single family or even potentially duplex, but single family home in the Midwest or the Southeast. And, you know, we have many of them, plenty of them, they come and go. But if you're renting now, I guess you're living at home. That's the cheapest thing you could possibly do. I mean, if, you, if you're <laughs> lucky enough to be able to do that, then uh, take whatever investment capital you can, or whatever you can save and put it towards building that portfolio of rental properties. So just get started. So anyway, I hope that helps. Fourth question here is Thomas. Thomas says, new to your podcast, but have been binge listening since I have discovered it. My spouse has rehabbed houses in the Los Angeles area the past five years, but in 2014 got stuck with a duplex that was supposed to be sold. We began to lease it out in 2015 for a combined gross income of $4,250. As of now, the net income, I think you meant to say is $1,400. We are fortunate to be able to pay off the mortgage and saving the monthly payment of approximately $1,950. My question is, does it make sense to pay the $390,000 mortgage off to gain the $1,950? I guess that would be probably their mortgage payment. So I'm assuming that they're netting $1,400 and they'd gain an extra $2,000 or so by paying off the mortgage. He says, uh, though this question is specific, we have a more philosophical question. At what point does it make sense to buy properties in all cash? Okay, so you have two questions here. Should you pay off the mortgage and benefit from the extra $1,950 a month in cash flow? Let's start with that. So without knowing more about your financial situation, it is my opinion that I would not pay that loan off. Here's why. First, I'm assuming that you have a very low interest rate on that mortgage, so you have very cheap credit. Number two, your tenant is paying it off, not you. So let your tenant continue to pay it off. Now, you can certainly accelerate that mortgage if you want to get to the point where you're free and clear on it, and that's simple to do. You can just add extra payments during the year, during the month. Uh, you can go buy weekly on your mortgage payment. you got the cash flow to do it, but you got to think about it this way. If you have the $390,000 to pay off that mortgage now to gain an extra $1,950 a month, you would be better off. And this is easy to illustrate. And our investment counselors can go through this with you and show you very simplistically that you're better off taking that $400,000 that you would pay the mortgage off and acquiring anywhere from four to eight more properties in other markets where you have good cash flows and good rates of return, and you can easily increase your monthly income, your monthly cash flows from those other properties that you add to your portfolio, that would be higher than that $1,950 a month. So it would be smarter to build a larger portfolio and increase your cash flows beyond what you could do by paying off this mortgage 
And that has other benefits. Aside from the additional depreciation write-offs that you get from those other properties, over time, as those properties appreciate, you're going to generate more wealth, create more equity or net worth is really what it's coming down to. That additional equity that is part of your net worth will be spread across the additional four, six, eight, or more properties that you purchase using that 400000 that you would have paid your mortgage off. So you still can achieve that increased cash flow or income goal by not paying off the mortgage and purchasing additional rental properties in markets that make sense. So you'll far achieve your overall goal of just being debt-free on the one property and having an extra 2000 a month. So I hope that makes sense. So you have a larger portfolio, you're gaining equity over time across more property, multiple properties. You have the same gain in terms of cash flow, but probably higher and more diversification. So I don't see any compelling reason to pay off the mortgage unless, I don't even want to say this, but unless you're in quote unquote retirement age or near retirement age and you just want to actually have a free and clear rental portfolio and that just makes you feel good. So to your second question, the philosophical question, at what point does it make sense to buy properties in all cash? The answer is the same. Again, I think it's case specific, but it's pretty uncommon that it makes more sense to purchase a property all cash because you eliminate one of the great benefits of investment real estate, and that is the leverage. If you're buying all cash, take your $400,000 that you have now. If you bought four properties at $100,000 each, well, great. Now you have four properties free and clear for a total value of $400,000 and your cash flow is your cash flow. It's basically income minus expenses, no debt service. Your net operating income is your cash flow. But what if you took that $400,000 and you acquired eight or 10 properties using that money as down payments, using those as 20 or 25% down payments on other properties? Well, your overall cash flow will be higher in that situation. And you'll have the same equity, that $400,000 spread across different properties in different areas or different markets. So you have that geographic diversification, but you also have a larger portfolio of property. So as your equity grows over time from the mortgages being amortized by your tenants paying them off, you're also getting the additional benefit of growing the equity through appreciation year over year or over the course of time. And so this magnifies that wealth creation effect. You get the power of leverage and you have more equity grow, those capital gains grow over time faster. So I don't think it makes sense to purchase anything all cash unless it's a screaming deal that falls in your lap and time is against you and you have to just pick it up now or you're going to lose it. Then what I would do is I would look at purchasing it all cash and then refinancing it to pull the cash back out, you know, 75%, 80%, whatever the loan to value is. So that would be the strategy there with an all cash purchase. Let's see here. Can I squeeze another question in? Sure, let's do one more. So David says, hey, Marco, I have a question regarding the cost of buying turnkey versus the true cost of purchasing, rehabbing, renting, and refinancing investment properties. For example, would it be a 10 to 15% savings if doing the work oneself versus turnkey or break even given all the time and effort needed to find, vet, and assemble the necessary teams, taking in consideration the price breaks given 
from turnkey providers for materials and labor costs versus full retail on materials and labor for non-turnkey properties. That's a mouthful. <clears throat> he goes on to say, you can also include the holding costs during rehab, which would obviously be for the interest, and all of the other hidden costs associated to do it yourself. The main question is, it appears to be cheaper to do the work yourself versus buying turnkey properties, but is it really given all the hidden costs involved? This would be for an out-of-state investor. If you did an episode on this topic, let me know. Well, I'm sure I've talked about this at least once, maybe twice, but it's a great question. So if you do it yourself, you kind of answered your own question here. In the hopes of you saving 5, 10, or even 15% on what you would be purchasing a turnkey rental property or even a retail property by trying to do it yourself, it's first of all, assembling a team and vetting the team then going through the acquisition and making sure that you purchase and purchase correctly with enough of a discount that when you go in and renovate the property and spend that money on the materials and more importantly the time for contractors and especially your time which is the number one thing here and then renting it or handing it over to a management company and then refinancing it to pull out whatever you can or just financing it outright as if it was a regular purchase the thing is, is you have to put a price and a value on your time. So if you want to do this, a do-it-yourself project and not purchase something that is at the least rent-ready, but at best completely turnkey, a fully turnkey property, meaning no deferred maintenance, it's like new, what you're really doing is, is if you do everything right and everything falls in place and you got the right team and you don't have any cost overruns or it doesn't take longer than what you expect it, and you end up with that 10 or 15% equity cushion in that property because you've done it yourself, really what you've done is you've just paid yourself for the time and effort and risk that you've taken. And that's what that 10 or 15% or even 5% equity at the end of the day is. It's really the compensation for what you have so-called saved. You're really just paying yourself in terms of equity. So this is fine for some people and you know I've done it myself it doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't it just means that you need to understand what you're doing have the right team have the right knowledge have the capital understand the risk have the right time horizon and know that it can take 3 to 6 months or more and sometimes you know these don't all go well i mean unfortunately these shows on tv you know flip or flop flip this house property brothers and all these other shows they're great and they're entertaining but it's reality TV. A lot of it is scripted and they don't always show you the deals that go south and the deals where they lose money. Ken Corsini in Atlanta, he's a very good friend of mine and I've had this conversation with him and we've talked about the show and it's not always what you see. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that are the real reality, not what you see on reality TV. So I don't know if I'm really helping you out here or answering this, but it's really a decision on how involved you want to be and what your risk tolerance and time availability is and capital. If you do it yourself, that's great. That's the active approach to going about it. I have friends who are doing this, past clients actually. They were clients of ours and they started building a portfolio and then they just decided, well, you know what? I'm going to go into real estate full time and I'm going to be the one driving the ship, finding the deals, assembling the team and managing the team renovating them and then putting them in my portfolio and who knows maybe they'll flip some of them too but that's the active role so that becomes a business it's not passive in any way shape or form 
the other end of the spectrum is just be a real estate investor, period, end of story. And build a portfolio as fast as you can, as large as you can, and just stay focused on finding the deals and buying the deals. Building the capital, saving that capital as fast as you can, buying more deals, and building your portfolio. If that's not what you want to do, then you can go down these other roads in the world of real estate and real estate investing and do it yourself. You can buy them, fix them, flip them, buy them, fix them, hold them. So I don't know if that helps, David, but 30,000 foot answer to your question. I hope that helps. That's it for today. So anyway, I hope this was helpful. I'll continue to do some Ask Marco episodes. If you have questions, by all means, go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Click on the Ask Marco link at the top. Submit your question. I try to answer all of them via email, but of course, I'm going to handpick some of them for future episodes. That's it. So I hope that has been helpful. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do so. Um, we are a top 10 podcast on iTunes. I don't know if many of you have known that, but it's a great, great place to be. So thank you for that. Help us spread the word. Visit iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. Thank you in advance for that. And other than that, we will catch you next week on our next episode. So thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.